0: Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged. In today's episode, Anita Grantham, Bamboo HR Head of HR, and Vanessa Brulot, Bamboo HR Human Resource Business Partner, discuss how to manage employee turnover, making job transitions easier. By the end of this podcast, you will learn how to help people go gracefully when it's time for a transition, align with management on turnover plans, prepare for large turnover transitions, Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Well, in our last episode, we talked about what it means to be a good lever. So in today's episode, we want to do a deeper dive into what it means to make job transitions easier for everyone. And that could mean when people are laid off, when you have to let somebody go, or when an employee leaves on their own. So before we dive into this discussion, we want to set the stage about why people leave on their own. Anita,
1: can you share a few quick thoughts? Yeah, this was a great conversation um, last year or last, last episode. And so it's really, you know, when people choose to leave on their own, I've actually got somebody on my team that I just found out about yesterday who's leaving on her own and I'm super bummed about it. Um, because I think, you know, I want to actually create a transition for her that when she goes through this next time in her life, that she'll look at coming back to bamboo. So I think one of the key things here is to really support what they're doing. And even if you before you look at a transition, whether they're leaving on their own or you're letting them go, you need to look at Um, in general turnover for your organization. Um, Is your turnover high? Is it low? In my case, this is definitely regrettable for me. I don't know that there's anything I could do to retain her because of the circumstance for which she's leaving. But at the same time, I wanna manage the impact of the team because people make up their own stories and we're not at liberty to talk about why people go. So you know, I think it's good to look at your average turnover for each department and keep in mind that your turnover targets by department should also be different right? Like in HR, I like it to be 7% regrettable, 7% non-regrettable for a roll-up of 15 overall. If you have a early career CX, customer success, customer support org, you can go up as high as 25 to 30% turnover. Same with inside sales. So don't anchor to one turnover goal for your entire organization. Definitely look at it by department and measure it and benchmark it to your industry. If you have an organization or department with no turnover, I always get curious about that. I'm like, why is nobody leaving? I think that's interesting. There could be something in there. So there's just a few thoughts. We have a statistic here that the 2021 Bureau of Labor Statistics report cited that overall turnover rate is 57.3, but that number drops to 25% when considering only voluntary turnover, 29% when considering involuntary turnover, and just 3% when looking at high performers. I'm not sure if i buy into those statistics and I want to know more about where they came from, but we thought it was an interesting point for us to simmer on as we have this discussion.
0: When I think that when you talk about kind of the regrettable versus non-regrettable, one of the good points there is this should be a cadence that people look at consistently, like get ahead of turnover before it happens or just understanding it constantly so that you're not surprised when things keep happening and all of a sudden you're like, oh, This last year, look at our turnover. It should be something that's in a constant conversation and part of the strategy of like, how can we retain our top talent? How can we make sure we don't have non-regrettable turnover there? Um, Because then it really affects, uh, you know, you as a leader too. Um, We already have so much on our plates. Adding that to the pile is just so
1: much weight. It's so much weight. And then it just is a distraction because to get to a point where you have a high performing team who's there and showing up consistently drives crazy great productivity and results and when you always have a team member leaving it just impacts that so much and it's hard to feel like you can get ahead
0: mhm when i in, in one of the th- the top things that we we see trending is people leave because of their bosses too That's right. You see that on LinkedIn all the time, like as, as far as that trend goes. And when you network with people, sometimes you see like, okay, yeah, that's like a a top reason for leaving. And, and sometimes it's just not having clarity in the role. Maybe it's not communicating. Maybe it's the individuals not feeling like they have an open and safe space where they can have those open conversations of things that aren't going well. I know we had that podcast episode about stay interviews that like insert, you know, shameless plug here. Um, (laughs) about the importance of those. And, you know, that can help prevent that as well, because that could happen.
1: Yeah. And that's why we want to give you tools to get ahead of it. So just like our team members don't want to be surprised when we let them go, we don't want to be surprised when people leave our team either. Mm -hmm. When I like what Andrew said, are their expectations of their boss realistic? And that's totally fair. It is, it is really fair. And really, I don't like the word expectation. I think it leads to a bunch of things where you don't really know what you can count on. So I like things to be explicit where everybody knows this is what you can count on me for. This is what you can't count on me for. And then that way you're aligned and going forward, and we're not holding people to standards that we just don't share, but we keep in our minds and everybody else fails. Mm -hmm. Well, and
0: that's why I like that, you know, coming to agreements
1: conversation
0: that we have a lot within our teams of, What are we agreeing on together? And if we're not meeting agreements, it's easier for each to point back and be like, oh, yes, we didn't hit the mark on that. And it was a mess. For sure. For sure. Well, let's discuss employee turnover a little bit deeper. I know that we're getting a lot of engagement in our chat. So thank you for all the commentary. We'll try to get to everyone. But I know you have some really good advice on this topic. And I want to start at the beginning. Our first question for this is, how should HR leaders align with management on turnover plans? This can be so broad, but let's
1: talk about when people leave on their own. What would you recommend? Great, so this is a difficult area, but I don't think that it has to be. Um, And so when people go to leave on their own, I really wanna analyze why they're leaving and figure out what's really going to happen as a result of them going. Um, So I think it's important that you don't want to negotiate when somebody leaves, like they've made their decision. I'm a big fan of no dives and saves. You've heard me say this before, like once somebody has already decided to leave, you've got to let them go. It doesn't mean that you don't want to learn why. But to pay them more or to save them, like I hear a lot of leaders speaking to, culturally it creates a big mess because you teach your people the way to get a pay increase is to go and get yourself another offer, come back to your employer and they'll pay you more. So I want to be really thoughtful before we gain um, traction and, and negotiation Um, Also, if you're committed to a pay philosophy, you wouldn't be negotiating, right? You already believe that they're paid consistently relative to the scope and autonomy level of their role compared to peers and similar jobs that they're in. And so you know, if you care about people that stay, you don't need to do this as a leader. 80% of employees that accept counteroffers end up leaving their current employers within six months. And this is a data point I've seen play out time and time again. You go to save them, you pay all this money, and they freaking leave you anyway. So I don't know why you're just delaying the pain. Rip the Band-Aid, find a great or better replacement, and go forward. Because 90% of employees that accept counteroffers end up leaving their current employees within 12 months so either way you're just shooting yourself in the foot and delaying the inevitable and you may feel like a hero at the time but culturally you're you're killing yourself based on this action and behavior
0: one mm-hmm. well, is it's interesting because on that topic uh, we had a, a comment in the chat about Recruitment feeds into turnover rates, especially when recruiters don't understand the cultural fit importance uh, when putting candidates forward to employers. And I think this is a really interesting topic, and I know we could probably riff on this for for a while. (laughs) Hours and hours. Yes, and and I think that there's there's a couple different components with this as well because yes, it's totally true. Your your recruitment team, they're the ambassadors to your company and it's crucial that they understand the employer value proposition and understanding what you're looking for in culture and sitting down with them and making sure that there is that agreement. Do they really see and understand what it is you're trying to get across? And what does that how look like in the what and what they're doing in their work? Um, So they can better convey to the candidates of here's what it looks like here, paint the picture, and then you're getting the right people in. It also helps in searching for those A players so that you can match what it is that the business needs. But the other thing too, is that the other component, and I'd love to get your thoughts after this too, Anita, is looking at, is it just recruitment to be looking at here? You know, look at other areas of the business. You know, does your onboarding plan look like? Are you setting up those, those top performers or eight players for success or those people just generally coming into your company? And what is your training program look like? What is the support system look like and the resources for them to be successful? So there's kind of different areas to look at if you kind of take the helicopter view and look down of saying, how can we make this a better experience?
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely the case that you have to look at all those things like are you bringing somebody in and helping them be successful. Do they feel like they have the tools and resources to be successful in the job. So I think looking at all of those things is definitely beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Well, and once you've aligned on like a more comfortable benchmark uh, with your leadership team on turnover, what, what should you do if your organization is having high turnover? I know you kind of talked about the negotiating. Um, so you, so do you believe in negotiating so you can encourage employees to stay or any other input that
1: you have on those two pieces? Um, so no, I don't believe that you should ever negotiate with team members Um, And I think it's really, I don't like the word fair. I like the word consistent. So again, you know, if you believe in consistent pay practices, you would never, you would never negotiate. So um, I think, I think that's the most important. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes you know for me i had to to think through my my reaction to employees leaving and separate the feelings that i had as a leader to the employee that is leaving and then the reaction i have as a friend or colleague that's hard to separate because you you have the business outlook but then you also have like i care so much about this individual how do you react And sometimes if you're not already prepared with that reaction, you know, you, you want to have a good reaction. Uh, And it kind of goes back to that conversation from our last podcast episode of how to be a good leaver. It's this conversation of how can you help people be a good leaver? And it's also about your reaction. So for me, it's been important to think through that reaction and realize I can be supportive when someone decides to leave but also clear about what our, com- our company's philosophy is when, in, when somebody puts in their notice. So I'd love to get your opinion on that, Anita. And uh, this brings up the question of, do you believe, uh, sorry, I, I mixed up my words here. <laughs> but I love, I love to, to get your opinion on that, of,
1: of that separation. So, um, so, like you said, in our last episode, we talked about being a good lever. So, what advice do we have for h r people as their people leave, and what can we do to make the transition easier? Yes. So I I think to your point about sometimes it's hard to be a friend and a colleague, and um, I know this may be hard to hear, but in HR we don't have friends inside the business, we gave that up as soon as we decided to become an HR, it doesn't mean that we can't be kind and nice to people, as long as you're committed to having the hard conversation and i talk to ceos all the time that want to have be friends with everyone and i'm fine with that as long as you can still have a performance conversation and i haven't seen it work out really well i think it's hard to be both and so it's important that you establish some clear boundaries where you still show that you care about somebody at the same time we're here to perform against the results of the business so that would be point 1 and so if you get to the point where Both of you see it the same way that it's not working. The relationship is not workable to go forward. You know, one thing I think for team members is you want to make sure that you leave things better than when you found it. And one quote we got out of the Good Lever podcast a few weeks ago is you want to leave it the way you would want to come in and find a job. If you're the next person starting, you want to leave it in a way that makes it good for your, your successor that's coming in. And I think as leaders, it's our job to help um, team members doing it the right way. So when someone decides to leave, you can help them with a clear transition plan. You, know, you want to understand the criticality of the role, how many customers or employees are going to be impacted by this exit. Be clear about what work needs to be wrapped up, moved, or transitioned or stopped altogether. We don't often think about that, but from some of the comments in the chat, you know, you don't want to put a bunch of additive work into other team members till the backfill gets stopped. So this is where you can reduce expectations and you can go back to the stakeholders and say, hey, this project is going to be on hold until our backfill is in and trained. We'll be back on that in six months, which is actually a reasonable time frame. Uh, to get somebody hired and onboarded. So think about what you're actually going to stop doing and really be sure that you run a thoughtful communications plan so that all people attached to this role are clear on what next steps are.
0: and mm-hmm. I, I loved uh, with this topic of, of even just our reaction alone, Victoria had a really great comment of just because an employee leaves should not create a culture of traitor <laughs> and if they decide to return, really. it should be examined as in a potential opportunity and should reflect positively on your organization as a whole. Uh, listen to arm and trust, employee retention, one problem, multiple views. I love that because you see that sometimes happen where it does become that culture of trader when it that doesn't create a, a place of safety
1: or you you miss out on talent coming back. You do. And that's a big bummer. You know, I always think that culture shows up in how you onboard people and how you exit people. So think about the demonstration you're being in both of those scenarios.
0: Well, I love I love this advice that you're giving, Anita, and I think pivoting a little bit into finding a successor for the individual leaving. Can you touch
1: on that real quick? This is so critical. I really want each of you to think about if you were to leave your job tomorrow and retire on a beach in Bermuda, who could do your job better than you? Do you have your department, even if it's a department of one or three or 10, in a place where it could run without you? And I really want you to do this because I want you to be able to go on vacation. A lot of HR professionals don't feel like they can leave to go on vacation because who else would do it for them? And I think it's really important. You should always be looking for somebody to take your job. And as a leader, you should have three to four people ready in the stable that you're helping grow into that next step. You know, the timing to leave has to be right, but as you're waiting for that time, how are you growing your team? One of our key pillars as people leaders is growth and development. So I want you to think about how much time you're spending on that stable of successors and know that it could take three to five years to build them into that role. And it's completely worth it because you get to have better harmony in your life. They get to grow and learn things that they wanna do. Um, And you have to also be clear that the business has to be willing and have a place to grow you into so you may lose people to other organizations but at the end of the day i found i can sleep better by really giving my all and developing people as much as i can
0: i love that and i love to get your advice on something i've seen a few comments and so i'm kind of compiling a theme here yeah. is for for lean teams where they might not have anybody to either back up for holidays or there's just not succession planning, what advice would you give to somebody who really needs a break? Because we all need that
1: break. We, we, there's so much we're doing. What advice would you give to help them out? So and many times when I've been in, in a small team, I go to IT, I go to finance. You know, we did this originally when I started at Bamboo, we owned payroll. We actually transitioned it over to finance. Our team is still the backup for payroll so that they can go on holiday. So our team will cover it. So go to other teams that you work closely with, because I get that nonprofits and small teams are on limited budgets, but don't feel like you have to look inside your own team. We're all a team of one inside an organization. So what other team members would want to be curious about a tour of duty in HR? That's a perfect way to cross-train somebody in. And also, this is where you've got to manage by agreement versus expectation. When you decide to go out on a holiday, you can say, these are the things that are going to get covered if you need it. Everything else can wait until I get back. We can do that for seven to 10 days. There's no reason why we can't. But that's where you can be the demonstration of that and say, hey, my friends in IT are going to handle X, Y, and Z. My friends in finance are going to handle everything A, B, and C and, and put it out and Then learn, get back, and be like, "What worked? What didn't work? Where did we have gaps?" You know, and if there's an oh crap, that's where you might want to get approval for outside counsel to be on speed dial. So if you really have a significant team member issue, or God forbid, something really bad happens, so you've got to spend two to three hours of outside counsel's time to help you on your vacation. I still think that's okay.
0: I love that, and I love that you talk about. It's kind of it's it's just creating a plan of attack. It's kind of the uh the, i'm going to say this now do you want it's the hit by the bus scenario uh i can't remember what it was i'm get, i'm saying it totally wrong is that the what what was it called
1: i don't know but i remember a last last podcast everybody was like the bus book and i'm like oh no we don't want the bus book let's have the beach book yeah okay we'll call it
0: the beach book cuz that's happier <laughs> yeah yeah So with the beach book, it's just creating that plan uh, and, and having everything ready. And I like that you say, like, when you come back, see what worked and didn't work, but there's also like, not, not only like your finance and it teams, like there's things that if you can set up for your leaders, what are some frequently asked questions that you get that you can like help create some resource page for your leaders that they can self-serve while you're out. So with the non-urgent things, they can get answers quickly and still
1: feel like they're being supported by you that's a great call, Vanessa. You know, you don't have to have an employee communications platform. You can have a Google document that's locked down. And it's like, where do I go if I have this? What happens if I need this? How do you create self-service? And this is a big theme that we've talked about before. How do you teach your leaders to fish and make decisions and use you as a resource? And it's a great opportunity for leaders to continue to learn and grow while you're on holiday.
0: Yeah. One, I love what uh, Virginia said in here is I'm in a small company and I do all of our HR and operations, but I have a lot of my duties mapped out on SharePoint. So finance or my boss can cover things while
1: I'm away, which is amazing. Yeah. It's a great point, Virginia. It'd be great. Maybe if you could share what are the outlines of things you have on SharePoint, maybe that would be useful for all of our heroes to be able to have a template for a beach book or a continuity binder as Patricia properly states. Well, before we we
0: turn to the the next topic, there Catherine had a really good comment in here, and I'd love to riff on this for a second. Is it's talking about critical roles and and turnover, and I thought this was really good for the audience. Is the planning of upper management for offboarding of employees is oftentimes not realistic, and they don't understand the timelines associated with critical role turnover. Um, what
1: do you have anything to add there? Super passionate about this. Vanessa and I just ran a critical role project inside Bamboo. So the time to talk about critical roles is not when they're leaving, right? You want to go through with each leader and say, hey, what are the critical roles, which to us mean the business would stop? the customer would have a significant issue. We cannot move on and support our customers without this role. There's very few roles in the organization that fall into this bucket. And it's really, really important for you to proactively identify them. So you can see if you have continuity plans to support those people, um, especially if they have a beach situation, um, You know who's there to back them up? And we often don't find that until we're in a bunch of hot water. I'd really encourage you to proactively identify those roles and figure out how you have continuity plans around them. It's, it's high risk when, when it's not being looked at constantly. It is, it is. And it's an important thing to refresh on your same cycle as you do talent review. Yeah, I love that. All right, let's get into
0: the really hard topic <laughs> that I'm sure is on everyone's minds that we want to discuss is layoffs. So we know that layoffs have been pretty significant for the tech industry this year and late last year. So this isn't a new concern, but layoffs are something we as HR leaders should understand and know how to manage better. So
1: how should HR leaders prepare for large turnover transitions? So this assumes that you've already done all the due diligence and you've decided this is the only thing that you need to do to reduce costs like you've you've taken away travel expense you've minimized your benefits costs You've done everything you can do. And if you don't reduce your cost basis from a team member standpoint, your business is at the state where it will flounder or fail to exist. So we've done all of that work, which we've talked about in other episodes. We can go through it deeper if we get some questions in the chat about that. So you're at the decision that layoff is the next step. I just want to tee that up that there's been a lot into it Yeah, CEO takes a pay cut. I've taken pay cuts before, the whole management team, all of those things. You've gone through all of those things and you've just decided that this is the only way forward. So we all know that humans and benefits are our two largest expense line items. And so really understanding that you're going to become more profitable, that you're really going to fix the problem through this layoff. And what I've heard from a lot of our peers about the current layoffs that have happened is that we haven't cut deep enough. So I really want to emphasize that you cut once and you cut deep. You can always hire people back, but going through multiple rounds of layoffs is so painful to your organizational culture. It's something that takes years to actually repair from. So I think it's really important that you understand that you do it once and you do it deep. But you may decide that you could also go through and really manage out low performers. You know, standard... Um, You know, standard data would tell us that 10 to 15% of our organization isn't performing Um, to the level that you would need them to be so you could also start there and really manage out your low performers but that would assume that you have a performance management philosophy you're willing to go onto performance improvement plans and you have leaders that are going to support this so that you can kind of cut maybe five to ten percent of your organization through performance that's the step i like to take first and then if you don't get to the level of profitability that you need to, then you could go deeper into a layoff.
0: There is so much goodness in everything you just said. <laughs> well, one of the, the first things I want to call out is, as HR leaders, we need to think about our workforce management strategy and influence our leaders from that angle as well. Like if they're, so for example, like, cause you're talking about like, just because layoffs is there, it doesn't mean it's the right answer right away. I know we've talked about this in other podcast episodes. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there has to be a lot at play and I think there has to be a lot of conversation about all the impacts for all the choices that you can make.
0: Yeah, and and it's, it's thinking about, like if we think about just the workforce strategy alone, if there's people that leave your organization like a backfill for a senior position, for example, pressure test the leader to see if a senior position is really the need. Because maybe the current team has a lot of seniors already and we could like senior roles and we could hire for somebody more junior or we could look at the scope of work and the business needs to allow for a level, a lower level to be hired in. So right there, you're able to financially strategize. And so it's like kind of that point in time of really making sure you're constantly thinking about what are
1: all the different directions here. And that's a viable motion. I mean, there's a number of companies usually owned by private equity that have a whole philosophy of you're only hiring junior team members and you're growing them up quickly. And your level of senior management is very light and very thin. And then you're managing costs based on spans and layers, which means I'm a leader of humans and I have six to eight direct reports and you don't let somebody be in a leadership role without six to eight direct reports. And that works like that works and it's super, super effective. I think it also depends on the phase. And stage that your business is at and what level of talent you need to meet those strategic objectives. So an exercise I think we need to do more of is saying, hey, this is where we want to be in 2030. This is the vision of our organization. These are the product lines that we're going to have. What are the skills and capabilities that would require us to deliver on that vision? And what is the gap between what we currently have in talent and what we need to get there? And then we decide if we're going to build or buy to go forward in it.
0: I love the builder buy analogy because as soon as like you introduced that, that phrase, I was
1: like, oh, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's super, um, you might, and some teams get over indexed on either one and there's pros and cons. I think you have to have a blend, but again, it depends on the growth rate of the organization, what the pace is, how much you need to get done, how quickly you want to do it. All of those things weigh in. And yes, Uma, it's challenging. It's never easy.
0: Yeah, well, another thing I want to call out that you mentioned is taking a look at the non performers. And if you have people who aren't rowing with the rest of the team and their work and are dragging others down and how they approach their work, it could cause teams to fall behind on roadmaps and hurt the overarching company goals. So when we think about when you think about your overall performance management strategy and do your management have the right tools and resources in place to not accidentally run into the sunk cost fallacy or in other words the escalation of commitment bias where you've got managers holding on to people for too long because they've already made such a large investment on when their performance is below expectations. That's, that's something that could totally happen. Um, but just as another avenue too of looking at, okay, where are we at with, with our uh, with our employees and what does that performance look like?
1: Yeah, it, it's so important that you look at um, performance all the time. Because if you can show that you're actively managing out low performers, when these decisions come up, it's going to be much easier. And you can point to the work that you've already done to manage performance relative to results in the business. I actually think that if we were better at managing low performers on a consistent basis, we would not be in the place to do layoffs as often as we have been. But there's there's one other point that I want to add to this that you could also do um, before you lay off um, that I think is another practice we could talk about too, Vanessa.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't want people sitting there twiddling their thumbs. You don't. Nope. You know, there's there may be other areas of the business where the workload is low and other areas of the business where the workload is high. So getting an understanding of what the state of the state is, you can influence bringing people who are in the low workload areas to assist in those high workload areas to save on resources and keep the business running. Um, you know, like for example, we've talked about this before of like the recruiting team, like hiring is low right now, but we can use, you can use recruiters in other areas of the business. They hire for your roles and they understand what you're looking for. And there's a lot of places that you can pull them into. So what are those different roles? You can kind of utilize the resources you already
1: have to, to help. You really have to look at the need of the role and look like you're hiring into it. And so you don't want to have people go through an application process, but this is where if you're constantly in career development conversations, you can say, oh, you've always been interested in being in legal. You've been interested in being in sales. Hey, instead of hiring an outside resource, which I think is where Vanessa is going, you can move somebody in from a team that you don't want to do layoffs in, but you want to maximize current team members and put them into a role, like you said, that has a larger workload that needs skills and abilities that match those of a recruiter or somebody else who you have a team that's overstaffed. And so it's really, it's really great to take um, people that are already performing that you don't want to get rid of that can still contribute to the organization and move them into other roles. Love that. And there's a really good comment
0: here of if there are non-performers, it could be a management issue. An effective manager can help bring up the the performance levels or manage the non-performers out of the company. As a manager, we need to understand if it is a willingness issue or an abilities
1: issue. I love it. We talk about this all the time, is it will or skill? And I think it's always interesting when you have a team of non-performers, but you have a manager that's never been on a PIP themselves. So it's a great point where that you have to look at, if you have a consistent team that's struggling, well, usually that is a leadership issue. And what are you doing to continually help that leader? Or maybe they're not meant to lead that team. Yep.
0: Well, what are other paths you would recommend before a layoff if an organization needs to cut
1: expenses and they choose to cut people? So one of the best ways to do this is to manage your hiring plan. So, you know, you can bring the hiring plan of net new hires down to zero, and that way you can move people that you already have into existing roles. And you may only choose to hire externally for highly technical roles that you need to backfill if somebody has gone. Now there's pros and cons to this. I've done this before where people will keep non-performers because they are afraid they won't get a backfill. So that's the con to this. But I think the pro is that if you stop external hiring immediately, you're automatically, and then you put a rigid process onto backfilling, you're already going to reduce your overall total headcount and expense profile. So I like this with performance management as step one. Simultaneously, you would also look at your real estate footprint. You know, a lot of us have big real estate bills and we don't have people going into the office. Or you might do something different. You might say, hey, we're going to keep this footprint and everybody's going to need to come in. We see a lot of companies that are doing that. So I think both could be effective in increasing um, performance. You could also take a stab at looking at your benefits. I met with a group of peers of ours about a month ago in San Francisco, and all of them had added in additional mental health benefits because there was a large demand for that earlier in 2020, 2021. What was interesting, though, is that there's no utilization. And so if there's not utilization in these added benefits that you've brought on, cut them back out again. And, you know, one of the things we just did at Bamboo was a conjoint analysis where you have people rank benefits side by side. What's most important to you, a learning and development budget, or is it uh, extra additional PTO? And then you put like what's most important to you, a high deductible plan with um, you know low prescription costs, which matters most. And when you do that, you can understand the prioritization for your team members and their loved ones so that you can make sure you're putting money into the benefits that matter most. Now, be careful if you strip all of this away, you're also stripping it away from your top performers. So there's a big impact risk here to culture and morale of the people that you need to stay and continue to gut themselves. So- to get the business to perform. So I always encourage all of us to take care of the living, right? The people that need to stay in and do all the work despite these tough economic and, and, and times that we're in. So you want to be really thoughtful not to cut too much if it's really important to your high performers. But that's why, again, it's important to identify high performers before you go into a cycle like this. So you know what's important to them and you can make those decisions thoughtfully.
0: Well, Heidi asked, uh, what did we call the survey? I can't remember what what we called it when we sent it out to the rest of the company.
1: Uh, It's called a conjoint analysis. And um, we actually hired somebody outside of Bamboo to do it. So um, you'll want to look for a data analyst that really has skills in this. It's really fascinating, especially if you have a larger team member base. So it's something you could definitely look at. And then I also, while I love some brokers, some brokers are great. Brokers are incentivized to do for themselves. And I think you have to have a firm point of view on what your outcomes need to be. And you need to have a really firm voice in guiding them for what you want to do and benefits. Otherwise, you risk getting to the right outcome.
0: (laughs) Well, Anita, a lot of companies have had to do several rounds of layoffs Uh, What
1: do you think about that and how can companies avoid it? Well, I think you can go through all of these things that we've kind of laid out, right? You slow your hiring plan, you manage out non-performers, you look at extraneous costs that aren't providing impact to your top performers and so I think all of those things need to be done, but I don't think they need to be done in tough economic times. I think they need to be done all the time as running a strong people team. Those are the things that you do all the time because you always want to be efficient, right? So so don't look at them only in times, um, you know, famine, if you will. So if you need to go ahead and do a layoff, you know, I think you cut once and you cut deep. Like I've said that a thousand times and I'll continue to hearken to it. Doing multiple layoffs is a performance and culture killer that I think none of us want to get into. You know, a study of over 4,000 team members who survived a round of corporate layoffs found that 74% declined in productivity because they get afraid. Am I going to be next? right? Am I going to be next? 69% reported a decline in the quality of their company's product or service. And I think it's because you force people to think about their own well-being and they start thinking, should I look for another job? I mean, when you decide to do this, you introduce a giant distraction into the product and service that you deliver. And I think oftentimes we don't look at the second and third order consequence of these decisions. You know, people say that customer service has declined and they were less likely to recommend their organization as a great place to work. So you definitely pay full price when you decide to go through layoff. Mm-hmm. But you can always, you know, you can always hire people back and you can bounce back too with with strong efforts. But I just want you to put a lot of thought into it before you do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what's the the bottom line, bottom line advice for layoffs? Well,
1: if you could give one, like, what would it be? I think what you do is you take care of both the people that survive and you do excellent care for the people that are leaving. So when we saw a lot of the layoffs start to take shape about a year ago, there were a number of companies who did big posts on LinkedIn, and they talked about that they were doing layoffs from the company point of view, and they proactively asked their networks to hire them on. So they were saying, we're laying off teams that are specialized in this, this, and this. If you're hiring for these things, please contact me and I will give you the names. So I think you've got to take care of the community to make sure the community takes care of you. So I always open up my network, I make reference calls, I make introduction calls for these people, I want to make sure that they land in a good space. And I take that on as part of my duty and ask my team to do the same. And so it's really the way that you do it, it's how people feel is a big part of it. I think you give them extra severance and health benefits because you want them to have time to land on their feet. And you also just want to make sure that you recognize it's not just the person that was working on your team. It's their loved ones that you're also impacting. And so one great example I heard about, um, I forget what bakery it was. You would recognize it. it was a big bakery. They were going through COVID. They actually called Walmart and said, can you take some of our team members? Like, can we give you some of ours so they still have jobs? And then that way we can bring them back when we come back online. It was like Paradise Bakery or a bigger parent company for that. And I thought, how awesome is that? So if you're a C-suite group and you see an adjacent competitor going through hard times, how can we reach out and help each other? Because we are all human at the end of the day. And I think it's important that we reach out and ask for help in ways that may seem unconventional. We can create great things together when we think outside of the box.
0: I love that thinking about is that that partnership in the community, because a common bias that I would see in hiring because I was in recruiting for almost a decade. A common bias I saw from different companies was if somebody is laid off, there's an immediate bias that they were the worst performers that they were at the bottom of the pile. And that is not necessarily the case. You don't know what thought was put into the layoffs and really take that bias out And think about the person as as an individual and ask like the questions around like, okay, what is your experience? What have you done? What are the things that you were most successful on? What are the projects that stand out? Like focus on what they have delivered and not let that bias control of like, I'm just going to write this person off because they were part of this initial layoff. And it's it's not... um, helpful and it it's already scary
1: enough for these candidates going out and so having that good community partnership is crucial It is. And and like you said, Vanessa, you need to seek the context about why the layoff happened. Don't assume there are low performers. You know, 33% of HR managers say they're more willing to hire somebody who was recently laid off. I mean, I think there's benefit in that. We talk about a state of entitled team members um, that was that still is pretty rampant, I think. When you hire somebody who was laid off, I think they come in with a sense of gratitude and excitement for a job that maybe they didn't have before. So I would definitely be open around, around those topics. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to spend a few minutes on how leaders can help employees when you need to let them go. What do
1: you recommend when it's time to fire or manage somebody out? You really have to put on your empathy hat. You have to think about the things that they're going to care most about, and those things are severance and health insurance, right? How long will I get paid, and how long do my benefits go for, and what else can I count on? And so that's where these extra services of resume creation, additional ways that you're helping them go out and secure um, interviews and things like that. You might hire a third party to help them build their resume, make connections, those types of things. So I really encourage you to put yourself in their shoes and think about what you would want if you were getting ready to go to that transition, you know, be honest and be kind, let them know if you would be a reference for them, talk to them about what they want to do and how you can help them get on their feet, even if it's a temporary or contract position until they find a full-time job. I mean, I've gotten so many calls lately where people are like, can you just help me out? And I've just been a sounding board for like, have you talked to this person and this person and this person? And that's why no matter what stage or phase of career growth you're in, you always want to care for your network and your relationships because it doesn't want to be a thing where I just lost my job and I'm reaching out to you. So I think it's really important that you really mind that network because you might need it for yourself or those that you care about.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Anita. As always, I've learned so much from you in this episode and I really enjoyed this discussion. I think we hit on a lot of different topics and love the the conversations that have been happening. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to answer maybe one uh, Q&A question if anybody's got one. Yeah, do it. Um, So if you've got a question let us know in the chat. But one, one of the things that I wanted to, to call out was um, Andrew put in, thank you, Andrew. I know that you've been commenting a ton. So love all the interaction there. Uh, Andrew said, I work for a company whose CEO is broadly considered the second highest overpaid CEO in America. And rather than a just comp, they cut coffee budgets for traveling empo- employees, which was a culture killer.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's where us as HR have to be truth tellers right? And we have to say, hey, um, is that really going to be the effect that you want? Like you're in a crisis, a performance crisis, right? Your customer is no longer buying your product and you think cutting coffee is the way to your team member's heart. That's what I mean. Like talking about um, you know the living is really, really important, and cutting out coffee just seems like penny wise and pound foolish. So that's where I really encourage you to go in, and you can't be judgmental, you can't be harsh, but say, help me understand how this is going to drive the outcome. What problem are we solving by cutting out the coffee budget? And I think that those questions can help them rethink it. But also be prepared to come with like, hey, we need to get profitability to this. These would be my three other suggestions about how we do that. And Still maintain our current performance base while optimizing our cost structure. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, and it, it, Linda had a question about: Does Bamboo HR calculate
0: retention rates? What yeah, is your comment on that?
1: I actually, I prefer um, anybody that's worked with me knows that I focus on retention over turnover. So I want to make sure that our retention of our team members is really, really strong in different areas, and that's something that we report on monthly back to our executive team. Love that. Well,
0: Anita, thank you so
1: much. Could you wrap us up in the three takeaways that our audience should take with them? Of course. So today, thank you for joining us. We got together and we talked about how to align on turnover plans and the benchmarks. We talked about what you have to do and watch out for and large turnover transitions using layoffs as the last resort. And we talked about how to help people with their transitions and making a clear plan to optimize the time before, during, and after they leave for the stakeholders that are impacted. So we're really um, grateful that you joined us for this key topic. We look forward to hearing more thoughts from you in our HR Heroes Slack community. And we want to make sure that you come back on July 11th for our next episode, where we talk about quiet hiring and what that means for HR leaders. It's a big topic right now. And so make sure to visit us at hrunplugged.com so you see the actual time and details for episode 26. Sign up and subscribe to our series. You get all the info about what we're doing next. And make sure you know that you can rewatch any of our podcasts in your favorite on-demand podcast format. Please subscribe and leave us a review. We count on you to develop great content that you want to come and listen to. And we love you all, heroes. Keep doing awesome work out there. We're so grateful for everything you're doing to make cultures great and have a super day. Thanks, Vanessa, for being with me today. Always a treat being with you. Thanks, Anita. It's been fun. Have a super day. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambu HR. Visit us at BambuHR.com HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambu HR sets people free to do great work.